This podcast is for kinky adults only and those of you that might be curious. Hello and welcome to another Massacast. Thank you for downloading. Got a lot of things to talk about this episode. Number one, we have free tickets to give away. Free tickets to a workshop series put on by uh, a good friend of ours, Eric Pride. The series is called The Creating and Living Positive BDSM Lifestyle Relationships. It's a four-part weekly workshop series throughout the entire month of October. Saad and I will be going to a few of them. It's going to be held at the LBGT Center here in New York City. Tickets are $17 in advance, $20 at the door, or free if you just send me an email, mastercast at gmail.com. You're going to be put into a drawing, and I'll be giving away tickets here in the next couple of days. So you, as soon as you get this, as soon as you get this, and if you are going to be in the New York City area and you want to go to one of the workshops, just uh, send me an email, mastercast at gmail.com. Say, give me the free tickets, and you'll be in the drawing. So the first... Workshop is uh, October 9th, and that's uh, Crucial First Steps, Creating Foundations for Healthy BDSM Lifestyle Relationships. The following week is Turning the Magic Key, Maintaining Healthy BDSM Lifestyle Relationships and Putting It All Together. And then the next one is uh, about problem resolution, and the next one is uh, BDSM Lifestyle Couples Share Their Relationship Experience. It's a big panel discussion the actual play aspect. This is more about the relationship side of things. And um, if you've ever seen a presentation by Eric Pride, you know that it's it's going to be a good one. So Saad and I will go into a few of these and hopefully you'll be able uh, to go as well. I'll put a link on the Massacast website where you can get more details. Also, you can search uh, the events section of FanLife. They're listed there. Now, before we get to this week's episode, I have to tell you thanks to our sponsor, Eden Fantasies, where they've got not just one of the biggest selections of sex toys out there, but they also have a huge uh, forums and polls area. And they don't just talk about sex toys on these forums, even though they, they definitely have plenty of discussion about that. They also have very active uh, sections for BDSM discussion, GLBT issues, news and politics even. Of course, lots of conversations about the sex toys and you know reviews as well. Eden Fantasies, where don't forget, if you place an order, type in EFCAST, that's E-F-C-A-S-T, upon checkout, and you'll save... 20% on your order. Thanks to Eden Fantasies for sponsoring. This week, a conversation with Dove. I've uh, talked to Dove in the past on this uh, on this podcast here, and uh, he came back, sat down on the big leather couch here in the Vasicast Studios, also known as our apartment, and uh, we had a lot of fun. Uh, Dove drank absinthe for the first time here. There is a caveat, I'd like to say. Dove uh, would like me to say this. He, he emailed me this. He emailed this commentary after he listened to the rough draft of this podcast. He said, I'm reading this word for word here. Uh, It sounds like we're drunk. So he wanted me to to read that to you. Keep that in mind as you listen to Dove and I sit down. And the conversation started with me just asking Dove how he's been doing. Yeah, I've been doing a lot more classes, a lot more uh, presenting at places. Um, Life has been, you know, kind of hilarious. I've... um, had to put my camera in to get it repaired it's back i've got to you know it's like been hiding and not doing photography because it's just been you know a lot of silliness uh some you know relationship stuff has been kind of interesting lately but well working itself out it's been it's been a rough kind of year in some ways There's a lot of successes in other ways you yeah. know and uh, you've been doing events for quite a while I'm trying to yeah both uh both teaching at them and, and going for your for personal reasons yes uh <laughs> But is it is it majority of the time you're going to teach? Yeah, majority. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm I'm not a wealthy individual, so yeah. for me, um, going to a lot of places or not, you know, I'd love to go to a lot of events. Can't afford it. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, I love teaching. I do teaching. Uh, I've got a nice long class list. I've been teaching a long time. Um, I know my shit on a lot of subjects, and um, people seem to like having me at events. You know, um, I try to make it as zero sum as I can for myself. And that, you know, if a presenter is getting me to come someplace, I'm going to you know promote it on my website. I'm going to talk about it. You know, people I know are going to hear about it, and I push it as much as possible. And when I'm there, I'm trying to put on the best show I can for them because, like, you know, you know, they want to make their attendees happy and everything. So I work my butt off for it, but. Uh, I try to make it zero sum of like you know if you're uh, if you want me there um, you know I you don't have to pay me just get me a room you know yeah. or, or try get me get me there if it's a far away you know a plane ticket or you put me in somebody's trunk well maybe the trunk but the back seat at least and uh, uh, you know get me there and I'm happy to happy to go um, it, it's actually it's funny we were actually having a conversation about that actually uh, the other day I was talking with 
I've talked to Melinda when she was in town and a couple other people, and we were, we were discussing how a lot of uh, events are kind of over doing i mean it's like we want as many presenters as we possibly fucking can have here you know and the problem is is that you've got x amount of dollars coming in it's you know kink events you know are not big money makers i mean they will make money for an event you know for a a group and stuff like that or they make money for a person Mm -hmm. but you're still dealing with the economics of you know x amount of people showing certain amount of people are going to be volunteers uh, and then your presenters, and you know your top line presenters. A lot of times, are you know, like a Midori or a Lou Rubens or a Loki, or you know, is getting like maybe they're getting flown in, they're getting a room, etc. But when you start doing a lot, a lot, a lot of uh, presenters, you can't take care of them. Yeah. And you know they're they're mounting to well, they're attending your event, you know, and they're paying to present, so they're kind of you know supporting you, kind of, kind of. But you know, and you know, I did that years ago when I, I first got on the scene. And um, I think a lot of a lot, lot of events would do better these days if they narrowed the amount of presenters they had on, so they could take care of their presenters a little better. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, not only you know you don't have to pay them, just but you know, kind of thing like you know, toss them two in a room, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And um, you know, it's, it, it, it was just a thought thing because we were we were looking, you know, we we're talking about our each one of us was talking about our experiences with you know certain events and uh, um, you know what we had asked for you know for, to be there and stuff and i mean i've turned down a couple of events because i'm like they are that far away and i'm like i would love to be at your event but airfare is just not happening yeah. you know and and uh you want me to pay for a room to and work five do five classes or four classes mm-hmm. or three classes um and and you're not even promising a blowjob i mean you know <laughs> hey uh, well you know i don't mean that to be nasty but it's that kind of thing like well, yeah, I, I've got, I've got, a, I've got the a, a follow up for the blowjob. Sure, but first, <laughs> really? Yeah, I, I do actually. <laughs> uh, well, actually, okay, I'll get that. When you were doing a class, mm-hmm. and there's people at the event who right. sometimes they people there are people who go to these events just to have sex. Well, oh, really? You, yes. Are you? I'm in I know, shock. I've never, I've never, I've, I've never experienced this myself. Neither have I. But I, but I, I would imagine scandalous. you get, you get when when you are. Up there, you're presenting, you're showing yeah. your, your skills. Mm-hmm. You probably get offers. Surprisingly, actually, that was another thing we, we, I've talked with a lot of people. Uh, actually, presenters are, are the most under underfucked people at, at events. <laughs> um, no, no, seriously, because you, you run into two problems. One is you're there, okay? You're the name, yeah. okay? So therefore, people think, well, you're taken care of. You know, you've got you've got a you've got a ship in every port. You've got you know yeah. you know you've got your group. And, there, and then you end up staying in your hotel room yeah. for the entire time because nobody's come up to you. Or, or worse yet, you get people who, you know, they're your fans, and, you know, they're not exactly the person you really want to know. And, or even if they're not, they just, they, they take liberties by the fact that you're, like, you're that name. So it's like, I want, you know, I am here to be your all. And you're like, you know, I'm just looking for it to tie somebody up. It's, you know, <laughs> we're not talking romance here, you know. Well, Thank it, you. you know? It's sort of like when I yeah. was in radio. Um, <laughs> When yeah. I was in radio, mm-hmm. yes, I got a lot of offers for right. sex when I was in radio. Really? What were most you doing? Of them, most of them were not from people you would want to have sex mm, with. There was that, yeah. Luckily, um, there were a lot of people who I, you know, there were plenty yeah. of who I did, but mm-hmm. 90% of them, you really didn't want oh, to, yeah, for, yeah. for one reason or another, probably just because there's a mental stability thing if someone calls up a radio station without meeting someone and just says, hey, would you come over and have sex with me today? Yeah, uh, play Misty for me. It, you know, it just runs through my head every yes, time you say that. Yes. Yeah, I'm a big um, fan of, of, uh, of his films. But, well, yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, it's not, and it's not, and please, folks, if, if you do have an interest in me, you know, please at least still talk to me because, you know, <laughs> you might actually fit the bill. Or email um, beforehand. Yeah. Say, hey, hey, uh, I understand you're going to be at this event. Right. I'll be there too. Here's some photos of me in various sexual positions. Yeah, actually, no. Actually, yeah. you know something that actually uh, that actually annoys me because I, I was I, I used to go on IRC a lot, and I had a uh, uh, somebody you know you, on IRC you're like, okay, hi, how are you? At, at first, you know, of course, you automatically assume everyone is you know a uh, young you know 16 year old girl who no, sorry actually young 18 year old girl. Let's be you know PC about it, uh, and and uh, is voluptuous, um, and of course we know that's. On IRC, it's all text, so that's yeah. in your head. Um, so eventually, there's a point where you go, "Hi, what do you look like? Are you a real? Are you a real person, or are you some guy wanking off, typing, yeah. pretending to be the you know?" And you know, you get a picture, and invariably, you either get the 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 the, um, the, the dirty picture that somebody stole off a website, which you immediately recognize and go, "Yeah, right, I know these dimensions." You're yeah. <laughs> bye bye, Mister Fake. Do you uh, look exactly like that porn? Th- Wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
or or you get a real photo and and you're really you know <laughs> gee i did not know you could stick in an entire refrigerator between your legs like that <laughs> and and you're like whoa you know well I somebody once sent me this very nice sedate photo of themselves and I thanked them and they were like why I said well because I now think of you as an actual human being not a, a rubber sleeve you know and while we can discuss you being a rubber sleeve later you know there was that that element of wow it's nice that I got a human versus a rubber sleeve you know you know so because people are intimidated uh, you know maybe you know, they, they put you on this pedestal yeah they're intimidated they uh Maybe you're a little bashful or something like that. You do welcome uh, people emailing you before an event saying, hey, either either to get tied up mm-hmm. or just to shoot the shit about BDSM life in general. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm on FetLife. Uh, you know, my, my I, I have a three-letter, you know, name. It's mm-hmm. really f- easy to find, D-O-V. You want to drop me an email uh, there, I'll, I'll probably then send you my actual email because I hate doing email through yeah. through websites. But, um, and I, I, by the way, I apologize to anyone I haven't gotten back to lately because, um, you know, I, I don't check it as frequently on FetLife as I should. But um, it, it's that kind of thing of like, you know, yes, contact me. I'm perfectly happy with contacting me. If uh, you're going to be in an event, uh, contact me beforehand. You know, it's always a great thing. You know, it's always nice to have a little card. You know, yeah. always a good thing. Um, uh, don't expect anything. I mean, uh, a lot of people... People have a tendency to think, you know, they're throwing themselves at you kind of thing. It's like, hi, I have, you know, and they're, and you're sort of like, hi, and I know you from a, you know, just talk to me. Hi, how yeah. are you? Um, this Actually, Midori did a thing on this uh, about a couple of years ago, two years ago, where she was looking for demo bottoms. And that's, that's another issue. Would you want to be my demo bottom? And people are like, ah, can I be your demo bottom, you know? And, and the problem is the difference for, between... For those people who don't know, a demo oh, bottom yes. is, if you're going to do a class, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you need someone to do the class on. You need someone to right. practice on and show yeah. in front of the class. Yeah, it's what, very, it's uh, very hard to do a, a box tie in the air and then explain it. You, yeah, know, you actually need to form yeah. a person, you know? And um, anyway, she was she was speci- being very specific to, uh, about what she was looking for and saying... Um, this is I want you as a demo bottom. This is not a relationship. We're not having a scene because people tend to think, oh wow, I'm going to be tied up by hey, I'm going to it was funny I, years ago, I remember at uh, uh, when this was when the uh, the center on thirteenth street was uh, in, they were re- rebuilding it, and they were over uh, over near tenth uh, and uh, GMS may did a kinky it was like uh, their kinky fest thing I forget what leather fest that was a leather fest. and Midori was in town. And uh, she was doing a uh, hojujutsu class, a takedown class. Actually, it was a takedown class, not a hojujutsu class. And um, she's dressed in one of those awesome, awesome latex outfits she wears, and it's totally greased to the max. I mean, the, the, basically, she's she's a walk and slip and slide. I mean, yeah. it's gorgeous, it's shiny. The silk, the lube is on there. You know, if you hug her, she'll go, you know, flying. Okay, um, and. She asked for a volunteer from the audience to to demonstrate a takedown, mm-hmm. and she said, "I'm in a stress. It's delicate. You better not break it. Um, and I want to do this in a you know we're going to we're going to walk through this where it's not an actual takedown." Well, the guy was kind of in his own role, and it ended up in about a, 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 a four or five minute you know slip and slide twist around with her finally literally slipping to land on top of him in the sort of you know like. Uh, hand on one on her head on you know leaning pose type of thing yeah kind of like you know as I've won kind of thing you know afterwards she was I mean she was I was talking with her she was like she was ready to rip you know somebody's head off because it was like fucking you know this guy was an utter you know twit but it was that kind of thing of like she'd been very clear up front this wasn't a scene I don't and he's you're not gonna. You're Midori. You're not gonna take me down. You yeah. Know, you know. <laughs> I mean, he, he literally the only thing he didn't pull out was you know a, you know a stick and egg gun and wave it around. <laughs> I'll get you, coppers. I mean, took it a little too seriously. A little too seriously, you know. And and I'm sure he talks about it, you know, to this day. This episode of the Massacast is brought to you by Eden Fantasies. Type in EF Cast upon checkout and save twenty percent on your order. Oh, okay. Hi. And I'm th- having absence for the first time, and it's making my heart very fond. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes. It's actually really good. I, I, I'm enjoying it. I have like, to do uh, uh, we, You saw the big decanter that we've yes, got. Yes, it is beautiful. And do you, uh, so yeah, so all, the, all of you listeners out there, you know, you're visiting New York, you can stop by and you can see the Mastercast <laughs> Studios decanter. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. It's, it's Right now it's got a blood, a blood red wine in it, so it has that little vampire thing going there. So well, that's yeah, kind of we, cool. we tell everyone it's, it's wine. <laughs> well, no clots. So it's uh, <laughs> kind of a giveaway, but um, but, but you're, you're enjoying the absinthe. Oh, it's you great. like it? Yeah, it's green. I'm I'm, I'm sipping the green fairy. Yeah. Yes. Well, now we're going to get to the real dove because <laughs> of the absinthe. Yeah. Oh God, yeah. Well, well, you know, it's this decoration thing, and I. Yeah, anyway. Well, this this uh, mm. this is something we were going to talk about. Oh, right. Last time, yeah. and a lot of people were wondering about too. Is that's the history of rope, right. In America, yeah, it's uh, history of rope. That's interesting because. Um, you know, in some ways, there is and isn't information past a certain point. I mean, you have to look at the fact that um, in the U.S., you know, you have some standout information. You know, you have uh, John Coates, John Willie, uh, uh, same person, mm-hmm. Coates being John Willie. Uh, Sweet Gwen- he, he did Sweet Gwendolyn, and he also actually did his own photography. Uh, matter of fact, uh, there's some interesting stuff on FetLife right now about him. Uh, Ugo, who's, I believe, in Japan... Uh, has been writing some stuff about the crossover between, um, you know, the you know the, the West and the East during the 1940s, 1950s. Uh, did did John Co- did Mr. Coates have access to Japanese bondage and stuff like that? And it seems, from what I'm reading, that he did. Although there's really no real, you know, letters by Mr. Coates back and forth, but there does seem to be some form of, you know, transference. Mm-hmm. You know, which I'm not surprised by. I mean. Unfortunately, we have a very short-sightedness about the ability of people in the past to access material. I mean, I'm always humored when people go on about, you know, aliens built the pyramids and forget the concept that, oh, wait a minute, Pythagoras and the lever and, you know, it's, you know, uh, as somebody who I used to do stone carving with, you know, just... Uh, uh, a couple of very simple tools, I can carve something that is incredibly precise without requiring you know digital scales. Okay. Plus, they had a lot of time on their hands because yeah. they didn't have Facebook. Yeah, exactly. You know, you had no Facebook. There was no internet, so basically, they could actually use all the cycles that they had. Yeah, I mean, you know. But uh, you also have Irving Claw. Okay, now Irvin Claw really wasn't a fetishist. Irving Claw did. Fet- he was a uh, now for, uh, just sorry. I don't know who he is. <gasps> you don't know I, Irving. I don't. Wah, wah, wah. Exactly. Okay. And I'm sure there are a few, one mm. or two listeners who are the same. Can you explain? Uh, actually, who there's who probably was? more. I actually had to explain what Super 8 film was to a friend uh, who I was playing with over this weekend, which cracked me up no end. I was mm. like, okay, you know VHS and we know floppy disks, but you don't understand the concept of sprockets. And oh, wait a minute. I had to explain that light was being shown through the film. And yeah, let's. Okay. Uh, as we go back, anyone here know Betty Page? Okay, hopefully we sure. know Betty Page. Betty Page was a pinup model in the 1950s, 60s. Um, very, very famous. And one thing she was famous for was working for Irving Claw. Irving Claw was a uh, guy who sold photos. He chanced onto the fact that he had people who uh, were interested. You know, he did pinup stuff. Um, well, if you do something a little special for me, Mr. Claw, you know, and they were looking for people tied up. So he went, hey, let's do this. Now, he was also massively afraid of porn, you know, doing porn. He didn't want to do porn. Mm-hmm. So if you actually look at any of the photos from then, the girls are so overdressed because they're wearing two bras, two panties. two. I mean, these these girls are so dressed. It's, and it, basically that entire style came out of the fact of this one man's, you know, that, that Betty Page style of clothing came out of one man's obsession not to be arrested. <laughs> Yet we find this amaz- amazingly erotic. Um, sort, sort of an irony there. Anyway. Um, what was funny was he was eventually uh, there was a, a, a the government did hold you know obscenity trials he was hauled in uh, he was uh, uh, found guilty etc and then and then it was overturned because they found that nothing he did was obscene because mm-hmm. basically the girls are fucking dressed yeah. you know they're you know even by standards back then well yeah they're wearing underwear but nothing you know no sex is going on you know the girls aren't even stroking each other it's mm-hmm. like ooh let me tie you up okay we're done um, but there is a, a delightful eroticism to them, and it, it is our history. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coates, on the other hand, also did Bizarre Magazine. Uh, uh, Tashin actually did a very um, horrible um, 
reprint of all the old bizarre magazines, which has gotten a lot of bad press from a lot of people because they cut up a lot of the magazines. What, what time of the... Hmm? What, 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 when was the original Bizarre magazine? Oh, Bizarre magazine. You're, you're looking at 1940s, 1950s. Okay. Uh, early 60s, possibly. I, I forget. I you know, don't have any notes here for, for when it is out, but it's in that approximate time also frame. kind of faux... No, no. Actually, Mr. Coates was the, the was the real deal. Uh-huh. Uh, he he tied girls up on his own. He was he he uh, uh, grew up in Singapore. Uh, he was his photography was I like tying girls and mm-hmm. they're naked and there's a reason I'm tying them up. Mm-hmm. Um, his Sweet Gwendolyn magazines are wonderful. I have a book uh, of sweet called Sweeter Sweeter Gwen, I think it is, which actually has uh, letters to friends, including uh, a uh, how um, the tie that Houdini couldn't undo. You know, you know, no, he was serious. This yeah. was this guy was the pervert. Mm-hmm. Okay, whereas Mr. Claw was the businessman. Mm-hmm. Okay. But the question becomes, you know, what what cross current there was, and um, if you really look at media, you know, people getting magazines and back and forth. I mean, there was a Japanese community in America, there was uh, uh, in Europe, Chinese, Japanese, etc. Um, Japan itself was getting this material, and it seems, if I remember correctly, according to the article I was reading, uh, they were sending stuff to him. You know, it's like, hey, we we like your stuff. Have you ever seen this? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, fans will be fans, yeah. you know. Um, it, it's like, I, I take a laissez-faire attitude towards a lot of uh, history because, like, there's a large argument in the in the uh, bondage community, especially in regards to Japanese bondage, of which came first, hojo-jitsu or um, uh, tying up pretty girls. Mm-hmm. Now, hojo-jitsu is the, uh, the, the term that's given, one of the terms given, for the how you tie somebody up after you've used jitsu on them, which is the one of the Japanese martial arts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, a lot of people assume, oh, I'm going to take them down with rope. No, you know, you take them down with jitsu, make it hurt so they don't go anywhere. Then you tie them up, yeah. and if they move, you break their wrist. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and basically, hoja jitsu is what they use to tie people up because, well, let's face it, uh, uh, if you had a crook, uh, you were in a, in a, you know, what was basically an, uh, a metal poor uh, economy. You wouldn't use iron manacles because that's like using gold. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, when, when uh, uh, you also have a culture of rope. I mean, Shinto religion uses rope in the in the religion. You know, they they have a seafaring uh, tradition. I mean, the joke of, of when people go, oh, those are Japanese knots. There's no such fucking thing. Um, there are knots. If you take a sailor from you know uh, the Edo period and put him up against his compatriot in the uh, Italian Navy of the time, if there was an Italian Navy of the time, um, 90% or 99% of everything they're doing, they were doing would be translatable. Mm. In other words, you know, if, if uh, Guido Sarducci, you know, <laughs> one of my favorite priests, uh, as a sailor, in, his, in his sailor incarnation, uh, tied a knot you know, his Japanese compatriot would go, oh, that's this. Yeah. You know, they might have a different name for it. Well, they definitely have a different name for it, but the knots are the same. You, there's, you don't invent a knot, you discover knots. Yeah, because evolution, yeah. as things go on, yeah. you learn this well, works best. And- yeah, well, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's only so many ways to sail a ship. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you know, uh, when they do archaeology on ships, ancient ships, there's, you know, how you tie, uh, how you rig a, a sail, a square sail or a triangular sail, you may have slight variations, but overall, you, you can only do it certain ways. And there's, you know, you need to do certain things, yeah. you know. Um, so, anyway. Uh, back so, to uh, sure, the sure, Bizarre sure. Magazine. Yeah, Bizarre. We'll go this back was to a, This was full-off porn, or just, it was just nudity? Um, or <coughs> nudity with bondage? That was pretty much all of it? Um, it was more fetish-oriented. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were nudes in it. Um, there was no porn. I mean, you didn't have intercourse in it. Yeah. You know, we're, we're talking real fetishism, you know. Articles on on latex, articles on story, dirty stories. You know the you know the bad man who you know the 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 sort of bad man, the the husband who came home and was turned into the sissy boy by his 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 wife mistress etc. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course, you know intercourse wasn't mentioned, but you know intimated and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, you know, it, it covered. You know, every article, every every issue covered different topics, and it's a wonderful. I mean, even though the Tashin issue is is damaged in a sense, it is well worth having because it. You know, to get those magazines now would be very hard to do, and you know, etc. Now, um, 
you have to look back to Tashin. You have to look back to um, oh god, who was doing rubber in England in the sixties? That was um, uh, Sutcliffe. He uh, he was the rubber guy in Japan. In, in sorry, in uh, in England. Um, uh, McLaren, um, Malcolm McLaren actually did a, a documentary on him back in the 1960s, and this was a guy who you know they, they were doing you know a little chubby little guy and you know nice muscle English gentleman, mm-hmm. and he did and his wife and they make these little you know you know rubber outfits and they sit around in their house and you know be perfectly normal drinking tea because they were rubber fetishists you mm-hmm. know you know it was that kind of thing we like rubber oh you mean have sex in it well, we do that too but you know it's a, it wasn't the point it was just I love rubber you know mm-hmm. real fetishism it's, it's actually one of the things I have a problem with fetishism today is that. Most photographers have no clue what the fuck fetish they're doing. They're, they're oh, we're going to make a fetish photo. We'll have them dress in rubber. Well, all right. Yes, you have a beautiful model in rubber. Technically, it is rubber fetishism, but not really. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, they don't really understand why the person's wearing or how it's so on and so forth. You know, you had Gummy Magazine back then. There's a huge uh, rubber fetishist magazine and stuff. The whole point of it is, is that as you go back, you'll find these little hot spots of perversion and delight. You know, of people who really, really were living what they want. I mean, mm-hmm. you go back to World War One. You know, uh, you had all of the doughboys who went to, uh, you know, to the uh, trenches. You know, and, and, and encountered the <clears throat> whorehouses of Paris. You mm-hmm. know, with you know, if you if you can dig up the old, or there's actually quite a number of collections. A French postcards, you know, with you know French horrors with uh, canes and all the stuff. And mm-hmm. There's a lot of history in that area. Or you can get into the Weimar Republic, which was amazing. Uh, there's a book, uh, Velvet Panic, I think it's called, uh, which is all about the Weimar Republic. And oh my God, it's <laughs> explain what that. Oh, the Weimar Republic was right before Ger- before the Nazis. Mm-hmm. It was the the. It, Germany was a motherfucking depraved place. I mean, depending on the strasse you were on, each strasse being street, mm-hmm. uh, you had one strasse was for um, um, pregnant horrors, one strasse was for male horrors, one strasse was for transgendered. Once, I mean, you pick a street, it had its horrors, you know. Um, Germany was known, Berlin specifically was known as the place to go. If you wanted to party, I heard hamburgers pretty uh, pretty big as well. Oh hell yeah! Um, it, it, it was a pretty wild place. I mean, um, you, you start reading this book and you're like, holy moly! You know, I mean, like, I wanted to live back then. Um, you know, naked people. It was one famous uh, uh, cabaret singer who was she was she was like on like six forms of heroin. You know, she died eventually of tuberculosis. It was half mostly walking around naked. I mean, it was amazing stuff. And like, she was the toast of the town. You know, it's like it's like what if Amy uh, uh, what's her name uh, Winehouse like was you know the porn star for for Weimar Germany? She fit right in. Um, you know this description. Um, and you know, actually, the first building to burn when uh, under the Nazis was the Sex Museum. Uh-huh. You know, so not the uh, the, uh, um, the the Reichstag. Mm. So it, you know, it, it's it's history. You go back. We we have a tendency to sanitize history. I mean, if you go back to uh, San Francisco in the Gold Rush, you had a thing, uh, a horrible thing. Uh, although you know, I think it's really cool in thinking about it, but horrible thing of uh, what were called tiger cages. Uh, uh, Chinese prostitutes were kept, where basically they were just a little room with a door, and the girl was kept in there, and you paid the guy who owned the girl, and you'd go in and fuck her. Mm-hmm. These girls were kept as, like, little wild animals, yeah. basically. Um, you know, great, you know, great if you want to, you know, for a, a you know, idea for a scene, not so great in reality. Yeah, of course. Know, you know, totally non-consensual stuff. But you, you look back on history, and, and you know, People do some pretty perverted stuff and have done so in the name of the Lord and, and other things. This and, is not, yeah, we should say this is not new. No. Uh, just because the internet's out there, mm-hmm. the internet's just showing people what's yeah. been there the whole time. Oh, sure. So, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, Japan's the one area, I would say, where you actually have a codified way of tying people up. And it's just a part of their culture. It's a rope culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about a culture where there's actually a. Um, a rope science, a tying science for how you tie up produce. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an actual thing you do with a, they do with a, a, a couple of uh, like two or one long grass stems and they tie up like four or five eggs in it. And it's like, it's a, it's a miracle of origami. That's it's awesome. Cool. You know, um, you know, you know, going back to what I was saying about there's, uh, uh, is there a, um, you know, a, 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 which came first, 
Well, you're dealing with a culture that, you know, I think it was hand-in-hand, hand, you know. Uh, since they're using rope before even uh, Hojujitsu was codified, well, sure, you know, I was tying my, you know, my the girl down before I raped her or tie her or fuck her or whatever, you know, yeah. because it was, a you know, it was a rope culture. Uh-huh. Um, it, you know, you go back through the Shunga Scrolls and stuff, you're going to find large examples of, of Japanese bondage. Now, back then, they were probably actually using the more martial version of it, Later, it gets a little funnier. You know, you get it to the 1940s, 50s, that's when you get into the publishing boom. The Catan Club and those other groups. Uh, Master K, has a, in his book, has a wonderful description, of, a layout of, a uh, timeline of, of that period, uh, where you have people, you know, groups of publishers who are producing uh, Japanese bondage books, how-tos, uh, information, and that's where it's really flowering, and you have to look at it as that this was also the boom of, you know, the information age of its time. Publishing was at its height. Yeah. You know, anyone, you know, publishing a book was easy in a sense, yeah. you know. Because it was everywhere. Yeah. It was everywhere. You know, publishing, I mean, people think of the internet as being, you know, uh, a leveler, and yet if you look at the publication of that time, books were, you know, you had, in order to, to disseminate information, books and magazines were it. Mm-hmm. So whatever would pre, it was somewhere in a book, yeah. you know. So those books absolutely had to have made it over here, did make it over here. You had people who were corresponding. To say that, you know, there was no cross-pollination is to, to utterly ignore reality. Mm-hmm. And the fact, you know, I mean, look at Akira Kurosawa. Uh, incredible uh, uh, Japanese filmmaker, and yet I will say he is the most Western uh, filmmaker Japan ever had. Because if you look at it uh, in his own autobiography, he talks about growing up uh, watching American cinema in Japan. Mm-hmm. You know, when he well, long before World War II, because he was in the upper middle class of Japan, he's you know he's going to the movie houses. They had a, a uh, uh, what uh, you know he was watching silence and and sound films. Mm-hmm. You had the explainer, which was a Japanese their version of the organist guy who would explain the film as you were watching it. So when you look at his films, well, he does involve you know uh, kabuki and and no style theater. All of his stories are European stories. He's doing he's doing Hamlet. He's doing uh, Ed McBain. He's you know there's a, his his visuals. Well, on one hand, he's doing uh, an incredible amount of uh, 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 you know theater, theatrical product, you know layout in that sense. Uh, I mean, there's uh, actually in the middle of his Ed McBain novel, which is uh, the the was it um, uh, the uh, the bad sleep well with Tashira uh, 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 Mofune. Uh, no, no, don't inflect. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, uh, there's a scene in it where it's a pretty cut and dried. Almost, it's like watching almost Hawaii, like an early, ver- early episode of Hawaiian Five O in some ways. And then in the middle of it, there's just they they visit a a uh, 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 heroin alley where these you know these uh, hookers and 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 other you know drug addicts are hanging out and have this this almost uh, uh, Japanese uh, style. Um, She's this girl's almost like a prophet, you know, a, a priestess, um, in a in a toilet stall, stone, hair up like a kabuki, you know, you know, kabuki actor, you know, totally out of out of you know out of the you know totally out of the narrative of the rest of the film, mm-hmm. you know. So it's like here's this entirely Japanese moment in a film that has nothing to do, you know. Um, and he does that throughout his film. So. Yes, there's an incredible amount of pollination, cross pollination, you know, from America, you know, from the Europe to Japan, and while it's not as obvious, there is one from you know Japan to you know to to Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a number of ties I have. In, I have one book of of photography of coats, and it does have some ties in there. I look at it, and go, yeah, those look like Japanese ties, or if not, specific ties have elements of ties. Yeah. And there's other stuff that's just, you know, seems a little more, you know, well, just regular stuff. But there's, it's there. Do you know the, do you remember the first time, or not remember, do you know of the first time when it was depicted as, okay, this is not just tying someone up, this is sex. This is, this is about bondage and sex together. Um, As opposed to like a Betty Page, oh, she's tied up. I I can honestly say um, no such picture has ever been found. I will say that there is a tremendous amount of pictures Mm. that depict bondage of some form going through the ages. I mean, I have a a large book of Von Byros etchings, you know, which is going back to the, you know, you know, very period, specific period. And you've got little girls tied up and boys and et cetera. 
uh, if you go back to Shunga Scrolls, uh, uh, Floating World stuff from Japan, you have people in, you know, Japanese-style bondage. Mm -hmm. If you go back to um, the Renaissance, you have examples of people tied up. Well, maybe a religious painting, let's face it, a lot of it was, auto, you know, highly erotic yeah. because this was how you hid the eroticism of the time. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so when you get down to it, um, if you want to go lurking through through history, you will find examples of bondage going back to prehistory that either has a religious or sexual connotation. How defined it is and how obvious it is, eh, not so much. You kind of gotta look through the lines, and the bishop might say, some, "Hey, what's this?" And you go, I, "I don't know what you're talking about, bishop." Sometimes, and sometimes it's pretty obvious. Yeah. Sometimes it's it's pretty damn obvious. Um, it's our, you know, and, and and if you look at any epoch in time where there is enough of a a, a, a a leisure class, you will find porn, and the moment I mean of, of a, a codified nature, you know, of of a specific kind of book, you know, uh, you know the, the Japanese pillow books. You know, well, yeah. basically, you know, they they were sold as ways to, you know, so you know how to do it. No, they were you know, so you could jerk off to them. <laughs> you, know, um, you 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 look at, um, you know, the von Byros etchings. Well, these were being done to be sold, so people, you know, yeah. it was porn. Um, at that time, it was innocent porn, but it was mm -hmm. still porn. Um, it's not an invisible thing, and we're I think we're less honest today about it because. We're we're removed from the farm. I mean, think about it. You worked on a farm. I mean, you worked you, you were on a farm when you were a kid. Okay. Sure. And and how many times did you see the you know the the, the local animals copulate? Yeah, well, that's kind of how a farm works, right? Precisely. And you know, it's like same thing with death. You know, we we're so removed from the reality of of that these days that um, the concept of sex being a, a everyday thing. I mean, you you look at religion. I mean. Uh, 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 you know the the sex rights of you know things like the the druids and stuff like that, um, where sex was a part of the religion. You know um, because the concept of birth, rebirth, etc. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and other religions, uh, uh, the Romans uh, have a had had one. Uh, there was one festival they did, which actually is recreated today, although not quite as erotically. Where you would run around, it was it was a uh, spring. I think it was a spring festival or something. They'd run around with with uh, basically floggers, you know, and whip people, mm -hmm. and people would run out on the street to get hit. Yeah, and it actually was was uh, uh, toned down and slightly banned by the emperor at the time because it was getting a little too exuberant, uh, <laughs> too too much fun. A little, right? yeah. People were doing a little more than just uh, you know flogging each other. You know, <laughs> a little more flog. You know, it's like, ooh, you flog me, I flog you. Let's go find a cannonade. Mm -hmm. You know, let's, let's find that. Let's go. You know, or you look at oh, actually, my favorite, um, um, Pompeii, the bathhouse with the porn on the on the walls. Mm -hmm. I mean, awesome shit. I mean, look at this going. And it was an even National Geographic did a thing on uh, what the average um, uh, Roman citizen was to be like, and he was he was bisexual. Yeah, because you know that's what you did in the army. Sure. So let's go with the questions. Yeah, uh, yeah. three really good questions. I yeah. think you might. Uh, sure, sure, sure. Here. Oh, questions. Question number one. Question number one. Uh, this is from Michael. These are all three questions. Hi, Michael. Michael, uh, it's lovely to hear from you. I'm about Dove's age. That means he's about early twenties. Clearly. <laughs> says, oh, you sweetheart. Yeah. I've been uh, tying up my partner since I was a teen, yeah. but it was always a private bedroom bondage type of thing. However, mm -hmm. I'm yes. new to the public scene. Mm -hmm. Does Dove have any advice for succeeding in the scene specifically for folks in the 45 <laughs> to 55 age range? For many years, I've followed the advice Dove gave his last interview, in which my mother gave me before that, yeah. by wearing clean underwear <laughs> and cultivating the social graces. Yes. And I very much agree on their importance. Mm -hmm. Uh, here I'm interested on more age-specific comments. Mm. Um, well, honestly, you're only as age-specific as you want to be. Um, I see a lot of people who are in my age range who act their age. And I mean that by the sense of, you know, I don't care what my looks are. I don't, you know, I don't want to wear clean underwear, you know, et cetera. And I'm going to act like a skeevy old guy, you know. And there's a whole reason why they don't really get people, you know. Um, basically, um, same things apply. Uh, I don't care what age you're at. Um, be interesting, you know. Uh, if you have a, have, you know, before you have, you have you, before you have your interest, somebody has to actually want to have a conversation with you. If you cannot talk about you know the things of the day or, or have a knowledge of stuff, 
you know, you're not going to get anywhere. I mean, it's wonderful. I mean, I'll be honest. You know, I, I've discovered with my age, which is hilarious, all the all the 18 year olds who suddenly want to sleep with daddy. Um, <laughs> I've also discovered also just you know, there young girls or guys like older guys, so kind of works out. But at the same time, just being the older guy doesn't just cut it. You know, um, you got to have something there. You know, uh, do you you know do you read? Do you have an interest in culture? Are you an anime fan? Um, you know, what what makes you human, so to speak? And then the final thing is, you know, wash, cut your nails, and uh, brush your teeth, and and which is a really big thing. I, I cannot stress that enough. And and, and uh, I think just being personable is a really yeah, good thing. Yeah, too. yeah. yeah. Uh, well, what you already said, yeah. but you know. And, and also, you know, saying if and, and the thing that you want to do, the rope, be good at it. I mean, and even if you're not be good at it, be honest about it. Yeah. You know, you know, it's like you're learning. You want to do something. Um, if you're like Bound and Boss, it's a wonderful, uh, wonderful. I cannot stress as, as a great. It is an awesome event. Robert does a wonderful thing, and it's it's social. It's wonderfully social. You can go. You'll practice. You'll meet people, and you have the shared interest of rope. And you'll find people who are interested in you because you're interested in the rope yeah. and you're an interesting person. So it, it's that's the kind of thing you need to do. The next. rope is the glue. The, the root is yeah. magic string that ties it all together. Yeah. His next question. Yes. Uh, and until I st- started in pu- uh, playing in public, mm-hmm. my only kink was bondage. Okay. Where there seems to be plenty of women who want to be tied up, mm-hmm. a bit more who want to be flogged, whipped, or otherwise tormented, and mm-hmm. who put up with the rope primarily just to get flogged. <laughs> Is that everywhere, or just the folks I've met? A year ago, I didn't think I was a sadist, but I'm becoming more of one, though. Uh, though, though it's still something I can take or leave, mostly. Mm-hmm. Does Dove see a connection between bondage and SM, specifically? Sure, many people uh, do them together, but <laughs> is there something uh, underlying, some underlying connection between the two? I've always thought that my kink was just bondage part, but maybe that's just the first step, or maybe there's more fundamental connection between bondage and SM. After all... When there's a pair of breasts bound in rope, it's almost criminal to leave the nipples without something fi- uh, firmly attached. <laughs> uh, Michael, you have no idea. No, seriously. Um, it, it, it basically, um, look, I do a class called um, Bondage Bonish for Punishment and Pain. Um, rope can incorporate masochism, you know, sadism, without ever requiring an external object. Um, the reality of it is, is you have it's a multi-layered world. Everybody has thing; they're into different things and different structures and different you know kinks. Um, yeah, there are some people who you know rope is a tie me up and then you can do anything you want me to. Me. Then there are people who are tie me up and I only want rope. Um, I actually had an experience recently where uh, I had a failure, so to speak. I mean, I, I, I tied somebody up who basically was looking for somebody who would tie them up before I did anything else. You know, like I would not deign to touch them until I had tied them up. Well, I touched them first. Eh. Okay, that went down. <laughs> I, I don't mean to laugh, but it's, yeah. I always find it funny when people have such specific things and they, you know, it can't be moved. Right. It's just, it's kind of silly. Well, I, you know, I, I actually adore those things, but my problem is, is I mean, we, we had some wonderful communications and amazing things got communicated up front. That was the only thing that that one little minor thing didn't get communicated. If it had been communicated just right, I mean, it was told to me as I was doing it, but yeah. not in the weighty way where I under, actually understood what was being said. I would have totally gone with it, and then we would, you know, would have been all great. Yeah, didn't do it. Whatever, you know, lovely person. You know, I think they're incredible, etc. But the point is, is finding the one thing that works. And a lot of stuff. It's like humiliation play. Uh, if something, you know. It's highly keyed to the individual, you know, who you are, what you are, what works for you. Um, basically, if somebody is using this as a ruse and you're more interested in the rope than in the SM, well, then they're maybe not the person for you. Um, if they're using it as a, 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 a methodology to get what they want, what's the deficiency in their area, not them, but in the world they're in, that they have to do that, you know, and you talk to them. Communication is the key. And Michael's sure. final question. Michael's final question. Uh, this is this almost sounds like a, a bondage purist question. <gasps> okay. Many women like to be uh, suspended and yes. quote unquote fly, mm-hmm. but r- rope really isn't their thing. What's that all about? Often their hands aren't even tied, which to me makes no 
makes it not really bondage. Unless it's a clever, your hands are free but you still can't escape situation. But that's not really what I'm talking about. And they don't want to be cropped, tickled, flogged, or electrocuted. They just want to spin in the air. Okay. Um, well, okay. You can characterize people like rope uh, at the being tied up end in um, three types with in you know layers that go forever and crossovers. But you can break them break them down into zoners, fighters, and escape artists. Okay, zoners are people you put rope around their neck or over their shoulder or anywhere, and they're gone. They're like, I mean, I I remember the first person I ever tied up who was a zoner. I'd never tied anyone up like that. I literally draped the rope around their neck, and it was like, yes, sir. I mean, gone. It was like you know, it was like I, I shot them with with narco you know narco drugs. It was amazing. Uh, uh, fighters are the ones like, yeah, you're gonna fucking tie me. Who do you think you are? Okay, and then you have uh, escape bars who are the ones, sure, you can tie me, and then five minutes later they're undoing your rope. Mm-hmm. You know, now you have uh, you, there are a few other types, you know, individual types. I always get the vibe that he's talking about someone who wants. They'll say, oh yes, tie right. me up. But they don't want to play any other way. Well, that they're almost using him for his rope skills. Well, they're, they're, but see, that's that that falls into these categories because you have a, it's sort of a zoner kind of because uh, uh, see, there's a there's a fourth quality which I was going to throw in which I, forgot, I always forget to which is then there's the artist you know a person they want fancy bondage or they, they just they want to be tied kind of thing and yeah there there are people who just love rope the the feel of rope the way it works on them they don't have to be restrained i.e. hands tied but um, it's almost like, um, you know, sense dep kind of stuff, sensory depra- deprivation kind of stuff, but without the deprivation, because mm-hmm. you're actually giving sensation. We're, you know, being supported, cradled. I mean, I had a, a friend of mine um, years ago explain to me why she liked rope. And when she was a kid, when she was very young, she had, uh, she was she was actually paralyzed for a period of time from some illness. And what it reminds her of is being cared for. Mm. Now, I'm not saying that these people want to be cared for, but you know, you you have people. It's the rope has an amazing thing. It does amazing things to your body. The, the stress, the uh, way it restricts uh, blood flow. Um, you know, causes your body to change. Um, people respond wonderfully to this, and there are some people who just like to fly. Put them up, swing them around. It's it's um, combination ballet or you know. And, and yeah, there is, a, unfortunately, a very large element of um, you are, how to describe it, um, you are the facilitator, and it really isn't about you. Mm. Um, it's something I do, and I, I like and I dislike when I tie people up, because there are a lot of times where, you know, there are people who are very into performance, and they look at the standpoint, you know, they look at you as the, the artist who will make them the butterfly. You know, <laughs> you'll sw- and, and they feel that, you must feel the same way, you know. And there are times when I'm doing, you know, if I'm doing a performance style thing where, yeah, I, I will get lost in it, I will have a lot of fun, I'll just go with it. But again, it depends on the person. There are people who are very, very performance oriented. Um, and there are other people who do, you know, vice versa. But it takes all kinds and what you are and what they are. I mean, it also depends how good you are with the rope. I mean, the, sh- the stuff I can do with the rope or the stuff that Loki can do with the rope. Not a lot of people can do, and I don't even think consider myself very good in many instances because to me I'm always you know the more I know the less I know, mm. you know very much a, always a student, and when I'm tying or doing this kind of tying, um, I'll look at something like you know that uh, Loka will do and he'll get throws. I mean, of course you know he's been tying how many people you know like he's been working for Kink recently. He just he just stepped down from them, but I mean, oh my God, you know flying them around all the stuff. I mean, yeah. that's a lot of practice. Yeah. You know, or, what Claire Adams does. The 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 point being is um, there's a point where in, in any any technique, anything, whether it be whips, rope, or otherwise, where you have to think about what you're doing. There's a certain point where it stops and becomes muscle memory. You just do it. And that's the point where you're able to really riff and do things with it because you stop thinking about how it's going to be done and you just do it. It's very zen in that sense. Um, people will ask me for. I mean, I have tr- I have a lot of trouble doing specific ties because I just look at a person, I start tying them. Yeah, I'm done. It might be the tie I did last time. It might be that I don't know, but it does what I want it to do because either the per- you know the person inspired me, it created the function I wanted. But 
I've been tying for a really long time. And if you've only been tying like, you know, two or three days or whatever, um, or, or like, this is, you know, I've had people who ask me about, oh, you know, how do I do this? And then I'm like, how long you've been tying? Oh, five days, you know, or, or I've only done like f- six successful suspensions. And yeah. I'm, how do I do an upside down inverted with a half twist and an Immelman? And I'm like, you don't. Um, <laughs> you've only done five successful, six successful suspensions. Mm-hmm. Um, when you can do like 20 or 30 and you don't think about how to do a successful suspension, that's when you move That's when you do the Immelman, you know. So, you know. Thank you for answering these questions. Absolutely. I hope, Thank you, know. you for sitting down with me. And I hope this is not the last time you sit down with me. If, if it sure, requires sure. another bottle of absinthe, I'll definitely well, try I only, it. I only had one look up. But just, I just want to say that, um, you know, if anyone wants to get in touch with me, my, you know, Washi Nawashi site, mm-hmm. you know, Washi, W A S H I dash Nawashi dot com. Uh, you can also find me on FetLife Dov, which has links to Washington yeah. Washington. If you can't, and they can that. find uh, your your link on on our website, website as well, the right? And I do classes, I do I do events. Uh, if you want me to come to your event anywhere, um, if you're not in the New York area, you know, just you know, drop me a line. Um, I've got my classes up on on my website. Mm-hmm. If you got any ideas of stuff you'd like, let me know. And you know, basically, if you can get me there, I'm happy. You know. Uh, you know, if you're far away, you know, you know, get me there and and someplace to crash, and that's really all I'm asking for. And then, you know, we can do something. Preferably you know. with a bed. Prefer- um, sometimes a bed is good. You know, <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not fussy. You know, I, I try. I, I really try not to be fussy. It's it's one of those things where, you know, I, I actually did have something like, do, do, do you need a bed? I'm like, define what you're sleeping on. Couch I mean, might work. Sure. Ca- couch is fine as yeah. well. Yeah, and as long as as long as it's. A, slightly cat free area yeah. I'm, I'm happy because I am allergic to cats which is kind of sad love cats well, but thank, yeah thanks again for doing this and thank you again, it's I hope a lot of fun again. thank you to Dove as always for sitting down and uh, shooting the shit with me thanks to Eden Fantasies for sponsoring this episode and it's, again it's not just sex toys it's not just a huge collection of adult products for you like lingerie lube the actual sex toys themselves they also have Sexist Magazine which uh They've got such recent articles as The Man Project. It's a good read. I'll say Tuesdays with Nina Hartley. actually got to meet Nina Hartley at an event recently. Okay, I didn't meet her, but I did uh, say to Saad, Holy shit, is that Nina Hartley? And she said, yeah. And I was like, cool. I was too nervous to approach her, but it was still, I was starstruck. And she writes on Sexist Magazine. There's also an article on Dildo Tech that is really cool. Again, EFCast. Upon checkout, we'll save you 20% on your order. Just use that discount code EFCAST. Also, we've got free tickets uh, for the four-part weekly workshop series produced by our good friend, Sir Eric Pride, the Creating and Living Positive BDSM Lifestyle Relationships. If you want free tickets, email me right now, massacast at gmail.com, and we'll be giving those away very, very soon in the next couple days. So email me. It's going to be in New York uh, starting October 9th and going all the way through the 30th. Coming up on the next episode, you'll hear a good friend of mine say... Well, you know, every once in a while, they're, like, really rude and really crass. They're just like, show me your tits. And I'm like, no. But every once in a while, they're like, oh. And they stop wanking to talk for a little while. <laughs> or for, so they're you polite. Know, they are. They're much more polite. <laughs> they stop wanking to talk for a little bit. Oh, that's it. A- so we'll see you later. Thanks. Bye-bye.